What makes a church is not a building, it's people. As a Christian, wherever we go, we're an extension of the church. So what would it really look like for me and you to be the church outside of this building? We're in a series called Beyond the Walls. So let's listen and find out how to show love like Jesus beyond the walls of our church. Legitimately, I think I saw one hand. Was that really one? Let me just say, any, oh wait, there's a second one. Okay, there were two of you. Well, you know, it actually makes sense. I've only kept two New Year's resolutions in my whole life. I'm not going to tell you what they were. Um, but I've only kept two, and they had to do with the same thing. So uh, I'm not really good at New Year's resolutions. But, you know, so far this year, you've made it to church every Sunday in the year. So congratulations. Maybe, maybe you could keep that up. Um, yes. Some of you are like, well, I'm out of here now. Okay. Anyway, we're starting a new year. And uh, <clears throat> I was thinking... Uh, as I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking back 25 years ago. Now, I don't even want to talk about what the ramifications are that I remember stories from 25 years ago that involved me being an adult, okay? It's not, it just, anyway. 25 years ago, I spent the summer up in Oregon. Uh, I was an intern at a church called Singing Hills Christian Church in Hillsboro, Oregon, and it was an awesome summer. Matter of fact, some of you might know Edie Erath. She goes to church here. Her son, Greg, who's my best friend in life, him and I were able to go up there and be interns at the same church together. And the preacher at that church at Singing Hills Christian Church at the time was a guy named Tom Moyers, who previously had been an associate pastor here at West Valley. So that's how we knew him. And so we spent the summer up in Hillsboro, Oregon, and it was awesome. We did all kinds of things. We, we taught Sunday schools for them. Uh, we went on visitation calls. Uh, we went to Tom's counseling sessions, which I'll be honest with you, sometimes those were a little bit awkward. You know, I'm not sure that he had you know, asked people if it was okay to be bringing a couple of 20-year-olds uh, to these counseling sessions, but we show up for like marriage counseling, and there's the two of us with Tom. A little bit awkward there. But we did all kinds of amazing things, and, and we were really fortunate. We lived with a lady named Lita Mae Adams. And she was a, um, a woman in the church. Her husband had passed away a couple years earlier. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But she lived right next door to the church. And it was awesome. After just a couple of weeks, instead of Lita May, we were calling her Lita Mom. And, and it was so much fun. And, and one of the things they did is Monday through Friday, Greg and I would go to different church members' houses for dinner. Okay? And as you can imagine, man, these people, they brought out the best for the two interns. You know, I mean, it was it was so right and it was so wrong. You know, I mean, like people were going to dinner every night and people are bringing out their best and like, you know, up in Oregon, man, we had so much salmon. We had so many green beans and raspberries and, and, and we had dessert like every single night, which was really bad because 25 years ago in the summer, I was getting married in just a couple of months. And I remember thinking, yeah, I need to go to Oregon. Maybe we'll play some basketball with Tom. I could drop a few pounds. Well, that didn't happen. Okay, because of those dinners, you know, you can't be rude when you go to people's house for dinner. Uh, and so anyways, it was a great summer, except for this. At Lita Mae's house, we stayed in her attic. Okay, it was an unfinished attic. There were stairways, stair that led to the attic, and so they just threw two single beds up there. And Greg and I were staying in her attic. And, and I don't know what you think about when you think about Oregon, but I think of rain. You know, I think of wetness. And the whole time we were there, it didn't rain once. As a matter of fact, not only did it not rain, it was like the hottest summer, like ever, in Oregon. Matter of fact, you know it's hot when all the people are going, this is the hottest we remember it. And so it was really, really hot. And do you remember where I said Greg and I were staying? 
Yeah, we were staying in the attic, okay? And so we'd go up there to go to bed at night, and it was just blazing up there. And so fortunately for us, though, like I mentioned earlier, Lita May lived right next door to the church. And so what Greg and I would do is we would go over to the church, we'd go into Tom's office, which was air-conditioned, and we knew how to turn it on, and we would just, most nights, we would spend several hours in his office just reading, like we loved Tom Moore's sermons, and so we would just sit there, and we would sit there and read his old sermons. And that was really hard, because it was chicken scratch, he never typed a thing. You know, but we'd sit there, and we'd read his sermons, and we'd take him to the copy machine, and we would copy those sermons. And he had all kinds of other uh, sermon books written by these old-time preachers. And so we would read through these books. And then I remember for me, being a young guy, and I didn't really have a lot, and this was back before you could put everything on a a little flash drive like this, you had to make files. And so I'd make files with all these sermons. And there was one sermon that I've always remembered. I read this sermon, and uh, and I just loved the the beginning of the sermon. It was by a guy I've never heard of before, and I've never heard from again. His name was W. Herschel Ford. And he started his sermon with this story. He said there was a young pastor and his wife who were loved by their congregation very much. And they, they were young, and they had a young child named Robert. And this Robert was kind of the idol of the church. The people at the church, they loved Robert. They loved to play with him. They loved to pass him around. Like he was treated like he was one of their own. Uh, but eventually, I don't even know what happened, but Robert became ill. And much to the horror of the church, Robert passed away. And so everyone was grieving, and it was a very sad time for the preacher's family and really for the whole congregation. A short time later, the preacher came up to the pulpit one Sunday morning, and he had a pair of Robert's shoes. And he had a little red wagon that he pulled up to the pulpit. And and he was saying that as they go throughout their house, everything that they see reminds them of Robert. But then he looked at these shoes, and he looked at this wagon, and says, we love these shoes, and we love this little wagon, not, not for themselves, but we love them because Robert loved them. And using that as his illustration, he then changed gears, kind of changed gears, and talked to the congregation about how we as Christians ought to love the things that Jesus loved. Like in our lives, we ought to love the things That Jesus loved. Like if we love someone, if we love people, we can't help but love the things that they love and to care about the things that they care about. You know, in the last year and a half or so, I would say that we've spent a lot of time talking about the greatest commandment. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. If you haven't been paying attention for the last year and a half, this is what it says. It says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We've also spent a lot of time talking about the Great Commission, which is in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of these age. You know, these two verses, when, when together, serve as our motivation as Christians. These verses speak to our purpose as Christians. They should serve as our guideline and our game plan for life 
as we think about how we live and what we do. You know, to me, as a Christian, these verses answer the question of why am I here? Any of you ever wonder why you're here? Okay, lots of people. I think there are lots of people in our world that are wondering why are they here? Why are we here? We're here to love God, and we're here to love people. We're here to bring people to God. We're also here to help teach people and to help them become stronger in their faith. We're here to love God, and we're here to love people. Anybody know John chapter 13, verse 35? What does Jesus say? He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how the world is going to know that we're followers of him, is if we love one another. You and I, we were made for a relationship. We were made for a relationship with God. We were made for a relationship with other people. And I believe that we're still here because God still has a plan. God still has something that he wants us to do. Our world, they need to hear about Jesus, but they also, then they also need to be taught more how to mature in their faith. Everything else doesn't really matter. All the things that we spend so much time chasing after are really kind of pointless. But before we go any further today, I want to answer this question. What does it mean to love God? Like if I asked you all, and by the way, while I'm, while I'm talking here, if you need a Bible, our ushers will come down. Just raise your hand and they'll give you a Bible. Um, good luck getting there before I move on. But, um, <laughs> but as we think about what does it mean to love God, when you think about that question, it might be a little hard to define it, Right? Might be a little hard to define. What does it mean to love God? Like, like sometimes, do you ever get put on the on the on the uh, on the spot by someone? You know, do you love me? Why do you love me? Anybody ever have a hard time explaining that to someone? Okay. Anyone? Anyone? I mean, it, it is a little bit hard to understand or, 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 or to explain, partially because. And I, I, I'm not this smart. It goes way beyond me. It's just something I read, and, and it makes sense. Like, the thing that controls our rational thought and the way we analyze things, that's, what, that's where also our language comes from. The part of our brain that controls our feelings is not where our language comes from. Okay? That's, not, that's not what controls our language. And so sometimes when someone says, why do you love me, and you have a hard time explaining it, it doesn't mean you don't love them. Okay? So as we think about it, what does it mean to love God? And as I think about what it means to love God for me and what it means to love God for you all, is this. Loving God is about totally surrendering our lives to him. Loving God is about totally surrendering our lives to him. In John chapter 15, verses 10 through 13, Jesus said this. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is known than this to lay down one's, one's life for one's friends. What does it mean to love Jesus? Loving Jesus means to obey Jesus. What did Jesus command us to do? Jesus commanded us to love one another. How did Jesus love? He said, greater love than this is no, than no one that lays down their life for our friends, and that's exactly what he did, isn't it? He told us that we needed to be willing to do that, and then he went and did it. So what does it mean to love God? And if you don't remember anything else, 
okay, from this morning. Remember this, loving God is about totally surrendering ourselves to him, totally surrendering our lives to his will. I want you to go home and I want you to think about that. I want you to think, in my life, am I loving God by being totally surrendered to him? And if not, then you've got to ask the question, what is getting in the way? What is getting in the way of me totally surrendering my life to him? Realizing that that total surrender, it's not a one-time decision. I wish it was. It's not a one-time decision when you're feeling strong, okay? But that surrender to him is really a day-to-day surrender that we have to do every day. And sometimes hour by hour and moment by moment. But you know what? Everything else that God asks of us, everything else that God expects, everything that God wants for us hinges on our willingness to surrender ourselves to him, doesn't it? Like everything hinges on our willingness to surrender ourselves to him. So this morning, what I want to do is I just want to run through, and and we're not going to have time to spend, um, to look at each one of these verses, but I want us to spend some time looking at the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, to me, as we think about loving God and loving people and being totally surrendered to God's will in our lives, the book of Acts is just filled with people. And I go, yep, they understood that. Why were they willing to do that? Yep, because they were totally surrendered to God. In Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 3, I love this story because Peter and John, they're going to the temple. Okay, they're going to the temple to pray. And it tells us in verse 2 that there was a man there who was there. He was crippled from birth. He was sitting at the same gate every day. What was he there to do? He was there because he was crippled and he was poor and he was begging. But Peter and John, they were going to the temple to pray. And I wonder as I think about this story, and as I think about Peter and John going to the temple to pray, I wonder this. How many times, like in this story, in Acts chapter 3, they happen to notice the crippled beggar sitting there at the gate beautiful begging But how many times had Peter and John gone to the temple to pray and walked right past this guy? Like this guy, it says he's been crippled from birth. Probably someone has been sitting him there for years and years and years. And it doesn't say, so I'm not being critical of Peter and John. Maybe they've noticed him before. But in my mind, I wonder, had he been sitting there so long, he was just part of the scenery on the way to the temple? Had he been sitting there for so long that they no longer even noticed this guy that was in need? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know for sure. But what I do know is this. They were on their way to the temple to pray. And on this particular day, they saw him. They saw this guy that was crippled. And then in verse 4. Like there's so many things in this story that I just think are so powerful. Because in verse 4 it says, Peter... Looked straight at him as John, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Now, it's easy sometimes to read through the Bible and just read over things really quickly. But I think it's so powerful that Peter said, look at us. Why? Because this guy was a beggar. He'd been sitting there for who knows how long. He probably sat there most days like this. Like when you're ashamed or when you're embarrassed, what do you naturally do? Okay, you naturally look down, Right? You naturally look away. You don't want to make eye contact. And I love it because Peter says, look at us. And he looks up. 
And you know, what, what was he expecting to get? He was expecting to get some money dropped in his little whatever he had there to collect. Okay, if it was going to be in his hand or his little cup or whatever. He looks up because like, wow, maybe this will be really good. Okay? And, and this story to me is so incredible because I look at it and I go, how often... Are we just like this crippled beggar? And this is a totally different sermon, and we'll have to let Pastor Rob preach at some other time. Because how often in our lives do we think we know what we want and we need? And we look up to get that, and God has something so much better for us. Okay, because when they say, when Peter says, look at us, he's looking up expecting to get what he thought his immediate need was, which was some money. But that, was that his greatest need? That wasn't his greatest need. Peter and John were there, and they noticed him, and they were going to address his greatest need. So what did he get? He's healed. Okay? I love that. Again, Pastor Rob could preach that story some other time, but how, many, how often do you and I do that? We're praying to God about something. We're asking him for something, and we're asking for something like it's, it's right here, and God wants to, wants to do something over here, but we'll settle for this. And God so often has so much more. But the thing that I love about this, and I want you to think about this morning, is this, is you know what? When we're loving God and we're loving people, we're going to notice people like that crippled beggar. Why did they notice him that day? Why? Because I believe they were totally surrendered to God's will for their life. And so when they walked past him that day, they couldn't help but have their heart go out to him. They couldn't help but say, oh, man, you know what? We, we need to do something about this. That's what it looks like when people are totally surrendered to God's will in their life. You can't help but see the needs of people around you and want to do something. Now, newsflash, I have not been able to heal anyone yet, okay? And I don't know if any of you are able to do that either, okay? But that's okay. God wants us to see those, the, the things that are going on in people's lives and do whatever we can, Instead of us, because not only does often the person who's embarrassed and humiliated put their head down, but quite often when we see the needs of people around us, what are we pretty good at doing? We're pretty good at putting our own head down and walking right on by. And so to love God and to love people and to fulfill the great commission, man, we got to have our head up. And we got to be looking and saying, Lord, help me to be totally surrendered to you. You know, in the next chapter... In chapter 4, there's another great story that goes on that I think is an example of God's people loving him and loving others. If you look at verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. What does it look like when people are loving God and loving people? The first thing I notice in that passage there, it talks about how they were so unified. They were unified. Why? Because they were unified because they knew they had the same purpose. They had the same purpose in life. And so they were unified. The second thing, obviously, it just jumps out off the page there is it talks about how incredibly generous they were. 
says there were no needy persons among them. And, and, you know, we spent a lot of time last year talking about our core values as a church, and generosity is one of them. And, and when I read a verse like this, it, it reminds me of our church. Our church is incredibly generous. Like, I don't feel like we ever need to preach a sermon saying you all need to be generous. Like, it, it, it just, it's just who we are as a church, and it's who we are as a congregation. And it's a reminder in this verse that that's what that they were like, and that's what we need to be like as we're loving God and we're loving people. Go to Acts chapter 5. We're going to skip over the whole verse about Ananias and Sapphira. They really blow the whole generosity thing, okay? Uh, but we're going to move on because in verses 12 through 16, it talks about how the apostles continue to heal people. They're doing amazing things. But then in the whole second half of Acts chapter 5, basically what it comes down to is this, is the high priest and the rest of the Sanhedrin does not appreciate what the apostles are doing. Why? Okay, because they're going around preaching the gospel in Jesus' name. And so in Acts chapter 5, we read about how the apostles are arrested and they're thrown in jail because they're preaching about Jesus. They're told not to do this anymore. An angel of the Lord uh, miraculously gets them out of jail and says, go back into the temple courts and to preach the gospel. And so what do they do? They go back into the temple courts and they're preaching the gospel. So they're called before the high priest of the Sanhedrin again. And they said, hey, we told you not, not to preach in Jesus' name. We told you not to do this. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And after this, after some more discussion, we read that it says that the, the, the apostles were beaten and they were sent out. I, I don't know how you guys are, like how you would be if you were persecuted for your faith in Jesus, but, but most of us, when we're persecuted because of something we're doing, I, I don't know, we tend to be maybe a little bit down, right? We're like, God, why did you let this happen to me? I'm just trying to be obedient to you. Why, why, why? You know, we're screaming why all the time. And yet I love this passage because instead of being disheartened by facing opposition, these guys are fired up. These guys are excited. They're, instead of being discouraged and defeated because they've been physically exalted, they're, they're assaulted, they are encouraged all the more. And it says that they left them and they continued to preach the gospel. They, they would not be stopped. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been, skip two pages there, because they had been considered, counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Why could they have an attitude like that? Because they love God and they love people. They were totally surrendered to God's will in their life. Later in the book of Acts, we read about the apostle Paul, his conversion. He was Saul. He was persecuting the church. He becomes a Christian. Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is what I need you to do because for time I'm not going to read through this. I just need you to write this down and read through this on your own later. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 33, Paul describes some of the suffering that he has gone through because of his preaching of the gospel. 
And when I think about what he went through, and I go, why was he willing to do that? Like, I, I cry rather easily. I'm not a very tough person. My wife will tell you that. I'm really wimpy, okay? But Paul goes through some really, really hard things. Why was he willing to do that? Why was he willing to face those struggles and those persecutions? Like, literally, he was beaten. They thought he was dead. They drug him outside the city one time. He went back into the city, okay? I don't know if he's, like, brave or stupid. I'm not sure which is best. But you know what? Why was he willing to do that? Because he was totally surrendered to God's will in his life. You know, that great commandment in Matthew chapter 23, that 22 that's a verse that would have been impressed upon him in his childhood as a good Jew from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It would have been something that was talked about over and over again. And so I think that's why he was willing to totally surrender his will to God. And, and you know what? I, I wish we kind of had more time because when I think about this, you know, it isn't just people in the Bible that have totally surrendered their will to God and done great things for him. You know, if you ever want to, want, to, want to think about some other people maybe who have done the same thing, look at the history of the Salvation Army. Um, William and Catherine Booth, they started the Salvation Army. Why? Because they saw the needs of people on the east end of London, and they started the Salvation Army and have done something that's gone throughout the world. Look at the founding of Compassion International. It was, it was started by a guy who was a chaplain during the Korean War, and he saw what was happening to the children in Korea, and he said, man, I have to do something because of his desire to love God and to love people, he started Compassion International. This year, or actually last year, I say this year, it was last year. Last year, as Pastor Rob and, and Greg Green went to Kenya, we, we met people that were from Missions of Hope International. You can go on their website and read their story. Mary um, had grown up in Kenya all her life, but had not known of the slums and not known of the poverty that was there. Someone introduced her to, to what was going on there, and she was like, man, we have to do something. You know, So it isn't just people in the Bible. We are able to do things that are incredible if we totally surrender our will to him. You know, last year was the year of amazed. It was very easy to say that because you could point to the wall and it said amazed up there. And God did some amazing things last year. But this year... As we go into the new year, and as we think about the theme, Beyond the Walls, and I'm pretty sure Pastor Rob is going to hit this for the next, oh, 12 months or so, uh, but I kind of want to talk about what that means a little bit in our lives. Uh, because, you know, as a congregation, we've had a lot go on here in the last two years. Um, in 2016, uh, the congregation had a, had a big transition take place. Pastor Kirby, who had been our senior pastor for 40 years, okay, uh, transitioned to being one of the associate pastors, and Rob, who was our longtime associate pastor, moved into the lead pastor position. That was a big transition. That was a big change for this congregation. And I would say it went pretty smoothly, partially and mostly because of the character of the two guys that changed roles and their love for God, and their love for this church. And for a lot of churches, making a transition like that would be very, very difficult and maybe almost impossible. And yet I would say our church did it, did it pretty well. And to me, 2016, man, it was all about that transition. And then as we moved into 2017, while we're still on the heels of that transition, we have this, the whole idea, the vision of Pastor Rob to finish building the upstairs. 
Okay, so we go straight from the transition into, into finishing the upstairs. In 2017, we spent a lot of time and a lot of energy dealing with the upstairs. You guys spent a lot of time and a lot of energy dealing with the upstairs. And so um, there's been a lot of things, and God did some amazing things through finishing that upstairs. But as we think about 2018 and where we're at right now, guess what? Transition's over, okay? We've made it through that. And you know what? 99% of the stuff upstairs is done. There's still a few little things that need to be finished, but for the most part, it's done. And as we think about 2018, it's time for us to really not, and listen, I don't want to say that we didn't focus on these things, because we did, but it's time for us as a church to focus on what is most important. Because the Great Commission, going out and making disciples, will always be the most important thing that we're here for. As Pastor Kirby would say, making disciples more disciples and stronger disciples. That's why we're here. That's our purpose. And so in 2018, we want us as a congregation to think about going beyond our walls. Okay? Because you know what? We didn't finish the upstairs for us. Okay, I want you to think about that for a second. We didn't finish the upstairs for us. We already have enough room for us. Our children don't need any more room. Our youth don't need any more room. Okay, we finished the upstairs because, you know what, we are surrounded by thousands and thousands of people that need Jesus. We finished the upstairs so there is a place for those children that are right now sleeping in Woodland Hills and West Hills and Canoga Park and that need to be at church, but they're sleeping in their homes right now for us to go beyond those walls and to bring them here and to have a place for them. That's why we did it, not for us. You know, uh, Pastor Rob will often talk about how when you build something for yourself, what is that? It's a country club. We are not a country club. And so in 2018, it's time for us to go beyond the walls, to reach out to those people in our neighborhood, to reach out to the people around us that we work with and say, hey, Matt, how can I share the good news with these people? And I know that whenever a pastor gets up front and talks about evangelism, talks about sharing the good news, it can be a bit overwhelming for people. So this is what I want to encourage you to do. I just want to encourage each one of us to begin to pray. To pray for opportunities. To pray not only for those opportunities, because so often we have those opportunities and we just don't notice them. So not only to pray for those opportunities, to pray that our eyes would be open to those opportunities to see people around us that need the love of Jesus in their lives. Even if you just start with one. Like, I'm not asking you to go to the guy at your work that you know isn't interested in talking about God and just wants to argue about things. I'm not saying start with that person. Okay, start with the person that you know that lives near you or you work with that, that just, you know, you know could, is open to the love of God or even hearing about him. Imagine what would happen if each one of us in this church took seriously the idea of praying for people to come to Jesus, if we took seriously the idea of looking for those opportunities to share the love of God with those people. We're to love God, we're to love people, but we're also to share the good news, and that's the greatest way that we can show our love to people, is by sharing the good news of Jesus with them. And so I beg of you, I beg of us, to begin to pray for those people that are around us that need to hear about Jesus, so we can go beyond these walls so we can go beyond here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for the people and the examples 
in the book of Acts that you have left us, who loved you and loved those around them. Lord, I thank you for the people in our history, people like the Booths, people like Everett Swanson who started Compassion in Nashville. I pray that they would inspire us to see the needs of people around us and to love them. Lord, help us to be totally surrendered to you. Help us to to commit to that each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at WVCCH. If you'd like more information about our church or services, please visit our website at WVCCH.org. Thank you for listening.